Coming up on the Louis Diaz podcast. Earth yourself. You know about that? You sort of get outside and put your feet in the grass, you go out on the beach and you make sure that your body is somehow touching the earth. And it works. It absolutely works. Hello and welcome to the Louis Diaz podcast. Every day I come across some of the most incredibly fascinating and authentic people from all walks of life. And together, we're inviting you in to be our special guest as we take you through some of their amazing experiences, adventures, and journeys. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Louis Diaz Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Louis Diaz Podcast. Today I've got a really great guest, Georgie Carpenter, founder of A Stereo of People, which we're going to get into in just a moment. So welcome, Georgie. Thank you. Thank you. So um, inviting me on. Yeah, my pleasure. Actually, it was never my intention to randomly approach someone that I found on LinkedIn, but I came across your profile and I noticed that you were really candid in your profile sort of bio, um, talking about things like burnout and exhaustion and, um, you know, really important major life decisions that you made. And I thought, hang on, this isn't very LinkedIn. This is a bit <laughs> too authentic to be LinkedIn. This person, this person isn't from. <laughs> this person doesn't normally come here. So, well, actually, it's funny. This is my second time on LinkedIn. Um, the first time I did use LinkedIn, I was an early adopter actually, and I used it in my previous company, Ten Collective, which is what I sold in 2015 to 2016. And one of I never took it very seriously. And one of my skills. You know how you can endorse people's skills on LinkedIn? Mm-hmm. Well, one of my skills back then was eating chicken. <laughs> That's like, because you could put in your own skills. And I got endorsed for eating chicken like 15 or 20 times. It was really funny. And I was like, do people even know they're endorsing it? Or do they think it's funny? But back then as well, it wasn't, you couldn't do social. It wasn't like a social media platform. It wasn't like a professional networking social media hybrid it was just your profile and you could DM with people and people could see your profile and you can endorse skills and sort of give them references or something like that. And that was it. So that's how old I am. <laughs> and then uh, I just got back on LinkedIn this time and I didn't want to, truthfully. I didn't want to do any social media. I'm I'm not even totally convinced that social media is very good for anyone. Mm. Um, I love this kind of thing, conversations, good faith, dialectic, inquiry. You know, this is what podcasts in the long form is. Um, yeah. But um, I did get back on LinkedIn because I, I launched this course. Um, uh, I haven't even really launched it properly, but a couple of months ago I launched this course for um, – I'll go into it another time. I'm not going to use your platform to promote my – no, shit, please. But... <laughs> well, it's context, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like um, I was advised at the time that I needed to get on something so they could build an audience for me. And I was like, oh, okay. So obviously I, d- I didn't want to do Insta and Face- Facebook, Facegram, I was about to call it. Oh, my God, I'm very old. Facebook, Insta, that sort of thing. I didn't want to do it. Anyway, um, <laughs> I did agree to LinkedIn. I thought, oh, that, that's okay. That's not too bad a platform. That would be interesting go for it and um they slowly started building a little audience for me and it was a little it was still a little bit sort of marketing and salesy for me so I kind of put a pause to all of that sort of stuff but what I did what I found when I put a pause to it is that people interesting people like you 
were hitting me up on LinkedIn. And then I was having all these great conversations with founders and entrepreneurs and creatives and business people, people who engaged in business philosophy. Like, I'm interested in that. So um, when you hit me up, I was like, okay, this is fun. Why not? And thank you for agreeing. Um... <laughs> is it Louis or Louis? Because you spell it both ways. Well, yeah, I do. I get called okay. Louise, um, Louis. Um, so Louise. I figure the spelling doesn't really matter as much as more about how you say it. But it's the Louis Diaz podcast, so I just go by Louis. Um, but I was born in Venezuela, so and that's a Spanish-speaking country. And officially, my name is Louis. Louis. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Okay, Louis. I'm going to try and remember that. I'll try and do it the way you like it. <laughs> no, I don't mind. But yeah, it's impressive that you sort of um, went from being a sort of chicken-eating-endorsed champion to starting businesses and deciding to to have these, you know, really great conversations with people, I guess, uh, and realizing that you're not necessarily cut out for the modern-day world of social media as well and making the decisions around staying away from that form of communication. Mm. And yeah, think- maybe. I think the last couple of years has proved to me that one thing I've really got to work on is that, um, in fact, I was talking to someone about it this morning, this beautiful woman called Delphine, totally on the up- other side of the spectrum from me on a, uh, I'm not very political, but I'll call it pol- political scale. But we were able to have this really lovely conversation. We were both sort of laughing because we scare people so much in these um, conversations because I guess... Um, I can get kind of intense, you know, and I'm in, I want that sort of um, substantive chat. Mm. And um, not everyone does. And what I've had to learn in the last few years, um, definitely in the last year, is to pick up on energy, um, understand what frequency people really want to operate with at that time. And, and to also just sort of see that there is joy in the light touch interaction. It doesn't all have to be deep and um, meaningful and intense and bantery and sort of, you know, high engagement. Mm. Uh, so I definitely, I'm still working on that for sure. But I'm kind of lucky because the stereo of people does allow me to sort of write, maybe even rant a little bit <laughs> on paper. So people don't have to actually read it, well, not on paper, on screens. And so uh, people can absorb what they want, reject what they want and... Um, walk away if they want to much mm. harder to do when you're face to face i think yeah no I, <laughs> I, I love that you're still sort of evolving your communication process is evolving and that you know what you like but also that you know that that doesn't make everyone else tick um so why don't you, oh. yeah why don't you explain a little bit about like what what is a stereo of people just so that other, like people at home have a bit of context Okay, I'm not going to do the elevator pitch because I am actually shit at elevator pitches. Um, But essentially, it came about um, a little while ago, like a year and a half. The name's been around for ages, actually. A gorgeous friend used to write a fanzine called A Stereo of People, and I contributed a couple of tiny little pieces when I was 23 or 24 or something like that. It's all very underground and hand-DIY, punk sort of style, lo-fi style. Mm. And... um, she didn't go anywhere with the fanzine, unfortunately, because it was so beautiful. And I wish she had, mm. actually. But that name was up for grabs. And very kindly, she gave me that name some years ago. 
And mm. I've never really known what to do with it. But this time I thought, well, okay, something hit me about a year or so ago. And I thought, oh, people are calling me regularly to um, ask about their businesses and what would I do and can I help with this? And so I ended up sort of consulting a little bit here um helps a girl through um, an acquisition she's gorgeous and I'm so happy for her and and some of my advice has really helped her out um during the earnout period but also um, I was able to mentor some uh, another guy who took his business from like zero to like five million dollars in rev in no time at all and I was like he was like it's down to you and I'm like it really isn't man like, I've literally just been on the end of a phone. It's down to you. But I did have this insight, and people found it credible. I think because I'd started a business and I'd sold a business, and that sort of gave me some receipts. And and I was able to help, and I thought, well, I need purpose. Because since I sold 10 Collective, 2016, after that couple of years of burnout, um, I didn't do a lot. I kind of enjoyed the spoils of war, you know? Mm. And... Um, I'm really conscious of the fact I sound quite Australian. I'm actually English. <laughs> no, you definitely do. I sound really English. Aussie to no, you? Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> I might, all my English people always have a go at me after I'm, well, they hear me talk nowadays. But anyway, um, <laughs> so I've realised that I couldn't just be languishing in um, my Bali villa in a tropical island and expect to find meaning in that. Mm. <laughs> I felt that I had these skills, I needed more purpose, I had the vehicle by which to do it, and I had a name, a stereo of people was right there, and I thought, okay, if I can use that to give insights to people, I can write and engage in these sort of high-frequency reflections, essentially, and um, maybe I've got some skills I can put together an online course, maybe I can commercialise a few things. Uh, maybe I can start another business. And that's all I did. And in the last few months, it's all sort of ramped up. I took a long time. Mm. I took a very long time to get here. And I thought, do I really want to do this again? And then I just went, I don't even know if I want to do it again. Just do it and then work out if you like it and make it so that you like it or enjoy it or whatever it is that you need to do to keep going. Mm. And it's, it's kind of gone now. So Stare of People is essentially Business Insights. Um, you like, like I want to talk to founders who have this great have mastery of some sort of element of the professional life and get them to sort of um, either inspire me to write or get them to write with me and uh, guest contributors, podcasters, interviews, um, collaborating courses. Like I'm talking to someone right now in Dubai who's doing so well. I've known him for many years. He's going to collaborate on a course with me too on the entrepreneur's mindset. We're going to kick that off in the next couple of weeks. Um, so it's that. It's kind of insights and maybe some incubation of some businesses. And then the other side is online courses. How can people sort of grow and develop, maybe utilize our courses to, to get to get on the path to mastery? Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, does that, that's a really long elevator pitch. I told you I'm crap at them. Yeah, you did, but I don't think it was crap and I think it was really good, but, um, oh, thank you. yeah, look, I, I, there's a couple of things that came up there. Um, one of them was that you couldn't really see yourself sitting, you know, in a barley villa sort of wasting away almost. Well, not doing anything, not serving anyone. Being of service was what I ended up sort of filtering down to for everything I did I was like, oh, being of service, that's what I like. So how can this business be of service? And I got that saying 
and this is quite exposing, I guess, but because I was feeling a little bit directionless and I was trying to recover from this burnout and a couple of things happened to my life. I actually ended up on this course through Commune, mm. which is this like health and wellness kind of website, but they were actually collaborating with Russell Brand. Mm. And Russell Brand does this sort of online 12-step program like and it's all based on AA and it's really you apply whatever it is that you are struggling with to this course and um for me it was just being basically purposeless Mm. and um I think I only really got to about step four step five or whatever but ultimately what came through on that course was like being of service is 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 a higher purpose Mm. and um because I was good at that and because I enjoyed doing that and I'd already done it in my small way with, you know, those few people that I was talking to with their businesses, that's where it all came about, you know, stripping the skin away, removing what might not be serving you, what might be a bit construed as toxic, et cetera, whether that was people, situations, habits. I mean, I still smoke, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Um, But mainly your own sort of self-limiting beliefs, that stuff was being removed. Mm. And that's why I think it cleared the field for me to be able to actually start a set of people. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm curious about your upbringing. Like, where do you where do you come from? Oh, okay. So uh, my mum is Chinese Malaysian. My dad is Anglo Burmese, and I was born in England. So um, I grew up on the borders of Essex and Hertfordshire, from a town called Harlow in Essex, which some people call the armpit of Essex, but I actually have been told it's vastly improved since I left. Not because I left, but since I left. Okay, thanks for clearing um, that up. But <laughs> I did spend the majority of my sort of youth in Bishop Stortford, which was um, in Hertfordshire. So that's like, if people are from England, I say Hertfordshire. If they're not from England, I just say Essex. Because no one, no one gets ang- like all... Um, Sneezy about Essex if they don't know anything about Essex. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so obviously you've you come from sort of a multicultural background growing up in Essex. What was it about your upbringing that sort of led you to become satisfied, I guess, with serving others? Was there a point there where you just... Oh. <laughs> it all clicked? Uh, look, what... We had quite a strict religious upbringing as well, and I think that that tenet of being of service is is quite a religious tenet. Um, and I didn't realise, because I'd rejected religion and I'd rejected the idea of the Bible and church, etc., um, for many, many, many years. I never rejected the idea of God. I'd definitely be believing God. Um, but so I reckon there was something in that, that I always had that in me, that it is right to sort of be of service. But, um, you know, my own as well my uncle was quite a businessman he was an entrepreneur me, me and my brother are both entrepreneurs actually we both sold our businesses um by the time we were 35 and my uncle used to sort of um he had this business he actually built this ice cream factory in jordan and it was one of the biggest ice cream producers in that that part of the world at one point um he also uh, had this amazing sort of um just a cleaning company actually but it was big and it had some of the biggest contracts across um, the UK for large retailers, etc. Um, when it was when we were little, he used to bring back these boxes of like Arabic um, Mars bars or uh, whatever Snickers, etc. And he just give us a box, and he's like, "That's not to eat. That's to go around the neighbourhood and practice selling." 
Mm. these chocolate bars see how many you can sell and me and my brother at like five or seven I might have been seven he would have been five which just take these boxes and just like sell Mars bars around the street it was so weird and um it is weird now I look back on it but it was kind of good training so it always was in us that you don't have to be limited by the pocket money say your parents give you or your circumstance maybe there are ways to subvert that with oh, i don't know something even as basic as a box of mars bars mm. you know mm-hmm. and it was fun and you got to know all the neighbors and they thought you were cheeky and you were able to try this and you were able to try that and we even did it with like um <laughs> oh i don't think the neighbors were very happy with us but i remember mm-hmm. ripping out every single rose petal in our neighbours' gardens and in the shared, yeah, and in the shared sort of garden areas that streets have, that councils look after, just ripping them out and just trying to make perfume with these rose petals, just stupid, obviously not making perfume at all, but it did smell kind of nice. And we just, like, bottled that up and anything we could find, like, plastic little bottles, little jars, sell those to the neighbours. And Mm. I found out that... They would buy those perfume jars or whatever for 50p or a pound and they'd take that water and chuck it down the toilet. They just thought it was really fun that these cheeky kids, like apart from a couple of neighbours that were well pissed off that we'd ripped up the rose petals, but they just thought it was fun that um, we were having it on yeah, pretty nice, much. Nice. So, I mean, the <laughs> entrepreneurial sort of bugs hit you quite early thanks to your uncle and that sort of mixed with I guess you'd call it religious upbringing and that whole idea of serving others is I guess maybe what you could say is sort of formed the person that I'm talking to today definitely definitely yeah had a strict upbringing and so we learned very young how to rebel mm. um, and how to subvert authority in certain ways and I think you need a little streak of that mischief when you are starting a business when you are an entrepreneur mm. Yeah, I think it was last week we spoke and it was funny because we were speaking over a video call and it kind of, you lit up a cigarette and I remember. I do that a lot, yeah. <laughs> too much. <laughs> I remember feeling a little taken aback. I was like, wait, what? This is this is someone I've met off LinkedIn. This isn't the, the way that this call's supposed to go. And I thought, oh yeah, no, it's because... I have these kind of limiting beliefs around how we should behave and Georgie's mastered mischief and the art of being herself and being like her authentic self and not caring what, you know, you are and aren't supposed to do. Maybe, and this is one of my favorite sayings that someone taught me the other day, asking for forgiveness rather than permission, and which is what you did. You lit up the smoke, you... And then you said to me, oh, you don't mind if I smoke, do you? And I, you know, I just loved that. I love that cheekiness, that authenticity and that sort of asking for forgiveness and not for permission. Um, And the reason I loved it is because I guess, you know, one of the big things that I've talked to people about in this podcast is their adventures and their journeys and their um, self-discovery process. And I think... In a lot of these conversations that I end up having, it's really people discovering the most authentic version of their self. It's like that is that's the goal, or that's that's the the place where we reach. That's the destination, the the moment, the wow moment. In a lot of these stories, like yeah, it's the authenticity part of it. 
And I was like, Georgie just seems to have it in spades. And I just, <laughs> I really admire, and it's not just because of the cigarette, mind you, that was just a, sort of the catalyst for sort of your general kind of, I guess, relaxed nature. But it was also the, the conversation that we had. We just went deep so quick. And I was like, who does this? Only a confident person can get here this quickly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like I said at the beginning of the conversation, that's also my downfall because I do go pretty deep pretty quick. Um, and not everyone likes that. And I've really got to work out how to read that situation a little bit better. But, um, a lot of that, I mean, you asked me about risk-taking. Oh, and by the way, this is your first video where we're kind of doing audio, but I'm recording you because it would just be kind of fun to use some oh, of this footage maybe in the future, right? But you're wearing the same T-shirt that you wore at the last call. It's my Wednesday T-shirt. Or What day is it? Tuesday. <laughs> is it Wednesday? I don't know. No, it's Tuesday. Tuesday. Oh, I'm wearing That's your it everyday there. t-shirt, mate. Yeah. yeah, I have them lined up in the wardrobe. It's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So. <laughs> it's a Nirvana t-shirt, everyone. So it's, not, it's not too bad. Yeah. <laughs> is, it, is it original? <laughs> no, it's certainly not original. I wish I was around that long. <laughs> yeah, you're too young for that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, but when we talk about authenticity, I mean, I made some notes about risk-taking, etc. And we're talking about five-minute mastery we're talking about oblique strategies we're mm. talking about um um right in this thing at the moment called burning the house down and it is about always identifying the, the third option maybe your last resort the, the the other thing that no one's ever sort of considered and that's um put me in good stead for business knowing that i'm happy to burn the house down so mm. you can say there's option one or option two but you forget there's also option three I don't know if that makes sense and do you, do you see why it's relevant to what we were talking about? <laughs> you might have to break it down a little more. Yeah, I, I think that um, we, we're talking about the authentic self, but ultimately does that just mean that I'm not professional? And I am professionally unprofessional. Um, I, um, I don't even know what professional means. What does that mean? Yeah. I think it's like... And I think that's why you're shocked. You know, that's why you're shocked when we were chatted um, because on LinkedIn you think it's a professional net network, yeah. right? Mm. And then you had this normal conversation with someone who had a cigarette and um, yeah. that sort of thing and didn't keep things within... I don't even know what the phrase is. I know the, it's on the tip the of my boundaries. tongue. Some sort of professional thing, some sort of professional schema. Mm. Why do we keep it there? What, what limits us like that? Mm. There was also the fact that you could have blown smoke into my face and it didn't come through the screen and it's kind of what I was expecting from that. But no, I mean, really, like all jokes aside, you're right. I think somewhere along the line, when you are going through this journey of life, you encounter this professional world and for a lot of people, they very quickly work out whether it's for them or it's not. Yeah. And it feels to me like the people that decide that it's for them, some of them, it's just like they're all in and that's just who they want to be. And for others, they're like, well, I can stomach this. This, I know that there's an element of me being involved in this environment that is going to need me to sacrifice the most authentic version of me. Like I'm going to need to <clears throat> watch how I speak, for example, or make sure I don't um, say something wrong um, or yeah. misbehave or act um, how I normally do, um, yeah. which is, I guess, kind of one of the things that I struggle with. Um, 
But, but who puts that on you? Like, who says? Is it the com- Is it companies? Do they say, look, to be um, considered as somebody we'll do business with, you have to wear a suit? Well, that's not true, is it? Because, like, um, well, who said it? Did they send you a letter saying you have to wear a suit? That, they don't. We just put it on ourselves. I mean, it's a Chesterton's fence thing as well. Like, um, suits are kind of useful. You don't have to think about things in the morning. You put them on and you go. Right, and I think there's like utility in that, Mm. Um, and also suits can be kind of sexy. So there's form in that as well. You know, you you look really good. You didn't have to think about it, and you're out the door in no time because you didn't spend half an hour going through your wardrobe and oh, I hate this. I look crap in this today. You're in vanity shirt. Um, (laughs) But then, you know, I rebelled against that whole thing for ages. The whole like what's what's convention? I hated that. I was like, oh, okay, so I'm supposed to use a compendium as a recruiter. I'm supposed to wear a suit. And I never did until one boss said I looked so crappy, she actually bought me a suit. And that was the one suit I used for nearly like a decade. It was so bad. I hated suits. I was like, because I hate you, boss number one. I can't. She wasn't boss number one. Boss number three. <laughs> uh, I hated her. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to wear this. And I'm going to wear it. And that's going to torment you because I'm going to wear it every day until it's old and has holes in. Mm. And it totally got holes in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, with the whole suit thing, like, there's historical context there. Like, you know, that's how businesses demanded people to wear back in the 20s and be- beyond, like, the 30s and the 40s and the 50s and to the 60s and right through to the 80s. So the suit, like, that attire and that professional manner and that behavior, I mean, it's been groomed for a really long time. And I think what you're talking about and those questions that you're asking, like, you know, who says that we need to do that? That's that's now mindset. That's not like mindset of 30 years ago. I was born in the 80s, by the way. Me um, too. For everyone back home. Um, I'm giving you a good 10-year span to work with people. But, yeah, I guess my, my point is that there's a lot of legacy in that whole professional environment and that professionalism. And I love the way that you are breaking, break that, you break it with just being yourself. Not that I've had a lot of professional dealings with you, but I can tell that what you see is what you get with Georgie Carpenter. Thank you very much. I mean, look, I mentioned Chesterton's Fence, which is ultimately, uh, which is so firm. The name... Uh, it's a guy called G.K. Chesterton, but Chesterton's Fence is essentially um, where um, there's a good reason why something's been put in, even if you can't remember that reason. I don't. I think somebody who actually knows G.K. Chesterton will be spewing that I explained it in that way right now. But what if, you know, even though I successfully did subvert the suit culture, uh, what if it is there for a good reason and I never knew? What do you reckon the consequences are like for, for people not wearing suits? What if it's there because it actually there's some sort of psychological connection between the way you dress? And we know this is actually true, right? The way that you dress and the way that you think and your mindset when you approach the day. What if subverting that, what if um, booting off the suit um, means that you can never get into the right mindset for the work that you're supposed to do that to, to that day? Mm. You know what I mean? So I, I did a lot of stuff because I had the insouciance of youth. I was lucky to be young and be on sort of exposed to fringe culture and just be mischievous and cheeky. And that's all good when you're young. 
and I think it's important to do, mm. truthfully. But we also do need to be aware of consequences. I don't know. I don't think there is any real, real sort of consequence of not wearing a suit. But I do actually think that there, there might be something. And maybe we need to explore that and have that sort of genuine um, inquiry mm. about it so that we can actually come to a conclusion. Maybe there was a reason. Maybe it's not conditioning. Maybe it wasn't um, some sort of nefarious force saying this is the rules and you have to follow these rules. Maybe it's just that everyone wore suits because they looked good um, mm. and they helped you with your mindset. Maybe it was um, an, a status identifier. I, I don't know. Mm. But... Um, I certainly question that sort of thing nowadays, mm. for sure. Not saying I'm not a rebel. If you push me, I, I probably will buy it a little bit. Mm. But um, <laughs> um, I, I am always just myself. Mm. That's true. But uh, I, I think it's worth sort of with the uh, with hindsight and a little bit more experience and maturity, it's worth asking those questions now. It's fun, yeah. actually. Mm. Well, I do, I do think I agree that there's a lot to be said about the suit being the costume that you wear that sort of gives you that. I think someone I used to work with once kind of put it this way. It's like you wear a costume and when you put that costume on, you can pretend like there's a force field around you that is selling you, right, today I'm at work and this is the symbol that I'm at work. It's like Clark Kent, for example. You know, like mm. everyone knows that Clark Kent is Superman, but he only does the cool stuff when he's wearing the blue and red suit. So, yeah, I think there's something to be said for that. And then, you know, with that whole, and I love the way that you use the word inquiry because it sort of suggests that we don't have all the answers, right? We're still asking questions. And, yeah. And that's what I love about that mindset that you bring. But the consequence... And some people need the avatar, right? Mm. They need that avatar. And maybe some of the best stuff comes out when they feel safe. Mm. Maybe, maybe that suit provides some sort of safety. Yeah. You know what I mean? And maybe not wearing it, you know, doesn't give you that. No, no, psychologically. No, yeah, physically it doesn't. I mean, it's not going to stop you from being steamrolled. Mm. A steamroller was to pass by very slowly. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But the psychological safety, which is what I think a lot of um, companies are very concerned with nowadays. Mm. Yeah, because we blurred the lines so much between sort of going from the very rigid nine to five and everyone's in a suit to suddenly we're starting to get rid of the ties and undo the top button to don't even worry about a suit anymore. Like in the tech world, um, it's jeans and, and, you know, Steve Jobs, turtleneck, and then it's T-shirts. And so we've gotten so, I guess, loose with the whole idea of that costume that we're bringing ourselves more and more of us are bringing the most authentic version of ourselves or the closest thing to an authentic version of ourselves to work every day and then you add the fact of a lot of us are working from home now so now work's really entered our environment it's intruded in our environments we're not getting dressed up anymore we're on the way other end of the spectrum right Mm. And you could say that in the process of us relaxing the whole costume thing and finding ourselves and learning to bring more of ourselves into work, we've actually fucked ourselves up and let work come into our lives way too much. Interesting, isn't it? That's an interesting perspective. I do think there's been some kind of intrusion and people have ushered it in because obviously they get to wear their T-shirts and they get to work at home, right? And um, I have thoughts on the working from home thing. I don't, I'm not sure I'm convinced it's right for all professions. 
Mm. And I think there needs to be some sort of expectation laid around professions of what um, what suits uh, working from home scenarios. Mm. What what kind of people suit working from home? You know, there are people, of course there are, that aren't self-managed. Mm. Do you know what I mean? That aren't self-motivated, who prefer leadership, who want direction, who feed off the energy of the people around them. Mm. But it's so fashionable, isn't it, working from home? And also, it gets you get to hide, mm. which um, it's it's not right to sort of assign uh, suspicion on people who want to work from home, not not at all. But we don't live in an entirely benevolent world. So occasionally you're going to have to accept that every so often someone bloody wants to work from home because they don't want to be seen working or they don't want to actually work. Mm. That's possible too, mm. you know? Yeah, that's what Siggy breaks are for. That's true. You know, how else do you get water cooler conversations even? But that's not right because they're productive a lot of the time. They're really they're great for um, relationship building. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're right. Like the at-home version of the water cooler conversation or the the ciggy break is completely useless. On Slack, yeah, it's on Slack. The other thing is Slack as well. Um, I think I was reading a couple of articles. Who was it? Was it Basecamp? They stopped using Slack for certain things. Right. You know how all these companies were adopting Slack and everyone was having these sort of big Slack yeah. message threads and it was really distracting and it ends up being like all the work kept on being agreed upon by consensus like we have mm. to do this and everyone would just rush off and do that and instead of sort of being able to step back and look at the big picture and there was distraction and there was constant notification and there mm. was um ideology you know the, the the schema within these organizations the language schema for example became tighter and um if you weren't in and keeping on top of what was happening at slack you were missing out you know you were yeah. losing track of what was happening and these companies like I said, I think it's Basecamp, but I may be wrong. I should use a Google machine for that. But <laughs> um, one of them just boosted it, and they've been much more productive. Mm. One of these sort of t- tech bro companies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> tech bro, yeah. that's not right, is it? I feel it's a bit sort of um, like I'm diminishing that, but I might make my whole career on tech world. Yeah. Well, call it what you like. You know, it's all fun and games. I think um, – I think you're right Like with Slack. I was introduced to that tool about five years ago and I loved it at first. It was kind of fun because I'd never experienced that level of kind of inner work collaboration. It was in a tech team and I was learning about GIFs and how they programmed little um, reaction emojis and GIFs as well. And yeah. it was it was funny. You know, it was it was cool to watch and be part of, but I very quickly became overwhelmed with the amount of notifications and I saw that it was a problem. Like it was a serious problem. And maybe it's because I'm I lack the capacity for a lot of our modern day ways of working. I think maybe I'm one of those typical boys that was better off with physical work, using tools and hammering bits of wood together. So when you put me in an environment where I've got like a notification from this website, I've got my emails, I've got my mobile phone, there's another landline (laughs) calling, you know, there's a chat within the emails, there's a chat within that other website. It's all just become way too much for me. And I don't know, like, honestly, I don't feel comfortable talking about it because I feel like I'm ousting myself. No, no, no. I think it's right to sort of um, talk about the realities of your paradigm right now. 
I mean, do you not feel that you're on the tools? I know what you do. You do you do a consulting. You you work in recruitment, and um, I can see why it's difficult because these aren't sort of you're not making furniture, you're not playing with woods, you're not um, building anything in that way. But yeah. you are. There are non tangible tools that you do use, and there are um, yeah. quite valuable things that you do create. Mm. Don't you think? Yeah, or yeah. Do you absolutely. need a mindset shift? No, no, <laughs> you should no. go on a little coaching program with me. <laughs> Maybe I should. Maybe I should. I think your coaching program would be great, by the way. Um, Except I've been told, I've been told this week um, uh, by a lovely guy, of course, uh, and very kindly, because oh, you don't come across as a sort of polished coach. And I'm like, not a fucking coach, me. I'm like, um, I'm like the anti-coach. Like, I'm like the anti-influence. I'm not interested in being a coach. Do you know how many co- I live in Bali, man. Everyone... Yeah. To the left of me and the right of me reckons they're a coach. And most of them have never even started a business or sold one. Mm. It's shocking. Mm. Yeah. They have people here who get followed around by camera crews. Mm. And they just sort of frolic in the beach and in the water and have cameras. Like they're influencers. They mm. take these people just take photographs and follow them around all day. And it's, it's kind of embarrassing. It's mm. kind of cringe. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah. anyway, going back to you, let's talk about you. No, I mean, this is not about me in my career at all. I, I was just kind of <laughs> saying that, you know, it's interesting that we're, we're sort of talking about the world of work and how it's kind of gone from be, becoming more relaxed and and the attire becoming more lenient and then us being able to bring more of our authentic selves to work to now, you know, the world that we live in where it works literally in our homes and it's kind of intruded on our personal lives in certain ways. Mm. And and a big part of that is like the amount of notifications that we're subjected to. And I, I was just saying that, yeah, I, I don't know how other people deal because I can't, not that, I, not that that makes me bad at my job. I just literally mute all notifications and focus and on the should. things that I just need to focus on. Um, sorry for anyone that I work with that's listening to this, but that's what I do. I don't. I just cannot cope with all all of the different threads and conversations. I've maxed. Mm. I've maxed out. And it was my ex girlfriend actually prided herself on um, her ability to multitask. Said she was amazing at it, and she was. Mm. But she also had the worst memory. Mm. And I started to realize that this whole multitasking thing that I had started to pick up was really yeah. diminishing my capacity to um, retain information the same way that I used to be able to. Yeah. Now, people will tell you that I have, I have a freak memory. Like people will be like, okay, how do you remember that? Like that day specifically yeah. might be a the spectrum related thing uh, that I might be on, but I can remember like the day, <laughs> the month, maybe the weather, of a day that something particular happened. And I noticed that through all of this overuse of technology and now having the laptop and the phone and the iPad and this job and that thing going on over there and a partner and friendships uh, and texting and text messaging, which I hate. Yeah. I started to, to realize that I was losing, I was losing something and I wasn't, I haven't been able to feel as sharp as I normally have felt in the past. Yeah, we touched on that in our last conversation about being able to articulate a point. Um, yeah, we did. Yeah. 
And I, I do think you're right. I think that dopamine hit that one gets from all those notifications, that messes with our neural pathways. I think that's a, that's a fact. And there's, there's documentaries about it. I think it is well-researched now. Yeah, yeah. And how it messes with us, we still don't quite know. You know what I mean? It's like... Um, we're the lab rats. Um, we're lab rats, right? Because we get to use these tools generally for free. So, of course, if you're not paying for the product, you're the product, right? And everything gets tested on us. And we know as well, mm. you know, every single um, <laughs> business coach, again, mm. they say switch off your screens two hours before you go to sleep. Why? Because of the blue light. Because because dopamine, those hits you get from those late-night conversations and those late-night notifications, the bings, the pings, oh, my God, they're going off, the beeps. And, and um, you can't rest, can you? And what do you need to do? What is the point of sleep? The point of sleep is to uh, repair. It's, yeah. it's to repair and to sort of consolidate your thoughts and make sure that yeah. your powers of recall are in peak performance by the time you wake up in the morning. Mm. So I think as well the, the research on multitasking is pretty clear. That is that um, it doesn't work. You know, it isn't actually – it's great for transactional work. Okay, so when you're doing transactional work, great, multitask away. But as soon as you want to flip into cognitive work, we've got a problem because flipping out of all of that overload in your neural pathways to get into cognitive, which is kind of more singular, more focused, more uh, deep, um, way harder to get into, Mm. way harder to use that system um, because you're just overloaded with the other stuff. Mm. I don't want to sort of like um, hammer that point, but... I used to think I was pretty good at multitasking, but I, I'm not actually. I'm crap at multitasking. When I go back and dissect my past, I was never very good at multi- multitasking. What I was really good was um, maximizing, um, maxing my micro habits. Mm-hmm. That's not the same thing as multitasking. It means that every single thing I do has been sort of streamlined, pro- productivity maxed, efficiency maxed um, from commands that you use when you're editing a document on i don't know microsoft Word to how you flip through your screens on google um Mm. from um which tools are placed where on your screen so that you can go bing 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 what's the actual what's your natural movement when you're using the laptop your computer um it was everything was sort of streamlined and productivity maxed in that way that didn't mean I was really good at multitasking. It just looked like I was doing multitasking because things were looking really slick and quick. But any time I've tried to multitask something and I have to flip, 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 flip between system one, system two, blah, 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 blah. Um, never good. Mm. Always ha- hacked, hackneyed sort of result. Hackneyed? Is that, is that the right phrase? I have no idea. See, there we go. Too much dopamine today. You could have <laughs> just coined a phrase or completely botched that. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah. But yeah, I do think people could benefit from sort of maximizing those micro habits and not multitasking, or at least trying to find a balance as well between transactional and cognitive work. Mm. And I do tend to think it should be. I think even what's his name, Dan, Dan Pink, he talks about it from like a talk ten years ago about cognitive and transactional work. And I tend to think. Personally, when I look at my day, back in the day when I was on the tools, there was like 80, 70 to 80% sort of t- transactional stuff and 30% cognitive stuff. And good. That was the balance I needed to take that business and sell it for six million bucks, man. So it obviously works. Um, 
sold it at 35. That's not bad money for a 35. I mean, I'm, I'm nothing. These, there's people out there that are selling for billions and millions and millions and millions by the time they're 25. So I, I'm not going to say that I'm anything special, but I did get where I wanted to be at 35. You know, mm. God, now I'm sounding a bit arrogant. Pull me back, Lewis. Pull me back. No, I'm gonna, <laughs> you've, you've been unleashed here. Um, and <laughs> it's okay because I don't think you've come across, you're coming across as arrogant at all. There's always, like you say, you're always inquiring, you're always asking questions. Um, it's okay to be someone that inquires and asks questions as well as achieves things and isn't always <laughs> uncertain about stuff, right? You can be good at something. Allow allow yourself to be okay with that because I am. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you. you are not in the same position as a, a lot of other people out there, for sure. When you say that there's people selling for billions by the time they're 25, well, yeah, we can play the comparison game till the cows come home. Yeah, right. yeah I don't see that we, game for it Well, right. yeah, you, you're in the top 1% or 2% of people on the planet right, in terms of having achieved and bank and also like you look like you're in great health as well you're living in a, a villa in bali so you, you're doing well and i came I here i wasn't in great health when i ran the business though i got really fat i actually nearly died like, like five times you're kidding when i was running my business i had um acute pancreatitis which i 100 percent believe was triggered by stress in about 2000 and uh, 10 and I started having all these pains on my guts and I was putting on loads of weight and I was still like drinking with my clients and taking everyone out for dinner and looking mm. up to my staff and working until 2 o'clock in the morning there's never a healthy situation so I'm not going to say to people do it my way certainly <laughs> mm. not that stuff but um, I wasn't in great health it took me a long time to work out what that was and in this new venture with a set of people mm. I'm much more sort of disciplined with waking up in the morning getting into my work clothes doing my workout having a swim mm. taking time to sort of read and um, earth yourself Mm. You know about that? You sort of get outside and put your feet in the grass. You go on the beach and you make sure that your body is somehow touching the earth. And it works. Mm. It absolutely works. Are you looking after yourself, Lewis, with all this, the notifications Uh, and Slack messages you're getting? Are you you touching the earth? (laughs) I ask myself every day and probably not touching enough earth, if I'm honest. But, yeah, I'm continuously checking and going, you know, what – what are the essential things that I need to do? And there's such a long list of things that we need or we should or we could do to optimize self-care or show the, like the maximum amount of self-care for for ourselves, I guess. But there's always something. Like if you don't have a list in front of you, there's always something that slips. And so lately, it's for me, it's been sleep, which you touched on. And I'll never regret sleeping like how much <laughs> I sleep. Because I know that it's what has helped me to sort of be like the sharpest version of myself in those times where I've I've felt that. I know that it's yeah. those afternoon naps and it's those, you know, sometimes 10 hours when I needed it. Um, and yeah, look, I, I listen to those sleep scientists that say anything over seven and a half and you're like getting too much. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But everyone's different. Like you should. Yeah, yeah, I think that's bullshit. Some people need eight, ten, twelve. Mm. I'm into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. And then exercise. I think exercise is the other thing that I've been doing in the mornings that mm. has um, that is you know waking me up. 
And one of my favorite morning routines that I started almost 10 years ago was, and obviously there's been periods of my life where I've completely dropped it, was doing 100 star jumps or jumping jacks um, in the morning and just completely shaking that body up and getting that blood flowing. And there's something about jumping jacks that just makes me smile. So while I'm doing it, I'm actually smiling as well, like, you know, like grinning from ear to ear, kind of like you are now. That's awesome. <laughs> um, but I haven't been doing that much lately. It's been push-ups and frogs from yoga, little which are like little squats, I guess, and a cold shower. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're doing the cold shower yeah, thing. Cold I was shower. like, oh, I just can't bring myself to do it. <laughs> Three minutes. I can't do it. Every morning. Um, and it's taken, when did I start? I started that I started cold showers and there's been months where I've gone without, um, not without a shower, without a cold shower. May I just add, um, it was four years ago. It was four years ago. I started and it's taken till now where I can just walk into the thing quickly, just wash my face and just let it pour all over me. Um, whereas at the beginning it was like 15 seconds of, of huddled up in fetal position, um, kind of like Ace Ventura in that in the first Ace Ventura movie, where he's kind of just sitting there and huddled up and shaking and shivering. That's that's what it was like at the beginning. Um, but how did you get into it? Was it like did you read the Wim Hof book or something? No, someone told me about Wim Hof, and yeah, I didn't read the book. I was just sold straight away. I had this really, uh, and still do have this really great influence in my life. Tara, I'll just name drop you. Um, who was studying? Hi Tara. Hi Tara. Um, who was uh, studying Ayurvedic um, medicine at the time? Oh, I've been recommended to do that too. Mm. I don't know anything about it. <laughs> oh well, it's you know it's the Indian kind of like. Sorry for anyone that's if I'm getting this wrong, um, but it's like the Indian version of you know ancient Chinese medicine. You know, like Chinese medicine is like, you know. Indian version of ancient Chinese medicine. Oh, that's, like you've just alienated all the Chinese. I'm <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. But that's kind of, that's how it was there's kind of. There's commonalities. No, there's commonalities in Buddhism. Absolutely. Siddhartha, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all of that natural remedies and, and sort of feeling the energy centers of a, of a human being to work out where the misalignment might be so yeah ayurveda's it's not the same as chinese medicine it's different but it, they're yeah. they're sort of parallel so yeah i got into that and we were doing nausea and i, I really struggled with that which is where like hot oil nausea uh, is like where uh, ayurvedic practitioner will will put like hot drops of oil up your nose oh my god yeah so the Chinese invented that. It's like oil torture up the nose I'm not, as opposed to water torture on the head. <laughs> I'm not, yeah, look, I'm not sure where it came from. Uh, I think it's an Ayurvedic thing, but it, it was very, very uncomfortable. But I was in a phase of my life, it was, like I said, four years ago where I was practicing a lot of things that I hadn't been introduced to prior because I wanted to see changes. And I knew that in order to see certain changes in my life, and that was with health or with just mental, emotional well-being, that I was going to need to try stuff that I had never tried before. And so, 
you know, anyone that had what that was doing anything that seemed cool or different as far as energy and health goes, and this is where Tara sort of met me. Um, I was like, yeah, I'm your, I'll be your guinea pig. I'm your volunteer. Try it on me. Um, and so that's when I sort of started with the cold showers. And I was doing this crazy. What are, what are the benefits? I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt no, you. No, again. no, no. What are the benefits of the cold shower thing? Oh, God. You, you can get so much more from listening to Wim Hof talk about this for 30 seconds and you could be listening to me, pardon me, uh, talk about it for 10 minutes. But um, nervous system, reset. Yeah, resetting, I guess, of the nervous system, I'd say is probably the most significant thing and one of the more probably significantly misunderstood parts of a human's physiology is the nervous system, what it does for us. You know, how actually our nervous system isn't just our immune system, which a lot of people might correlate the two. Our nervous system fluctuates all the time from a state of stress to a state of, I guess, calm and that has significant impacts on our health on our general overall health right so you take the whole thing and i know i'm talking a lot here but you did ask a good question oh Um, look i always turn conversations to interviews where i'm interviewing other people so so it's an old habit i've probably got to get out of sorry no 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 it's good it's good it takes it takes a bit of pressure off of you and I appreciate it because it's something I'm very passionate about as well. And I was going to ask you about your routines and, and relationships and friendships and stuff. But I guess with what you've asked me, it's, yeah, it's sort of realizing that that the ner- my nervous system has been sort of in charge and it's been subconsciously yeah. in charge of the way I respond to people and the way I think and feel about myself. Um, my whole life and it's sort of recently discovering the power of a regulated nervous system that allows you to sort of get on with your day at an optimal level and not from a fight or flight level constantly so if you're like if in ancient times you were being chased by a saber-toothed tiger and you hear this all the time like people have superhuman strength when they need to you know mothers rescuing children from fires and you know people lifting up entire cars to get drag people out from under them like if you need if you really need to do something your body's able to do it and it's incredible and that's when your nervous system just kicks in and you don't know what happened just then or how you did what you just did, but you did it. Um, but what if your nervous system's always in that state? You're just depleting all of your actual natural resources. And when you're walking down to the corner store to get a bottle of milk and your nervous system is in that sort of state, it's not necessary. And suddenly someone might say something to you and you snap because you're con- constantly stuck in that state. So, yeah. yeah, after doing a lot of research into the nervous system, especially last year, seeing yeah. a lot of correlations between someone whose nervous system is dysregulated and someone who displays symptoms of being on the spectrum and potentially even autistic, like almost identical symptoms, you'd say, I realized that, wow, these cold showers, man, they're like, it's just such a good way to set up your day because it wakes you up completely. It snaps you out of whatever subconscious way that you were starting your day, which you do. We all start our way in some subconscious way, right? You, your alarm goes off, you turn it off, you get up, walk to the kitchen, coffee, blah, blah, have a drink, read the paper, have a cigarette, 
get stuck into work, right? But what if you throw yourself under a freezing cold shower and it makes you shiver and shake? What happens to you when you get out of that shower? You've just gone straight into like a nervous system kind of peak. And then when you come out of it, you're in like a trough. You're like, oh, God, you feel so good. And you're completely, you've, you've kind of reset your body in that process. You, you walk out of a cold shower and you don't wrap a towel around you because the air is so much warmer. Um, you come out of a hot shower and you're like running for the towel, wrap it around you, quickly dry yourself, get some clothes on. I'm walking around naked after a cold shower just because <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, it's the best part of my day and I feel so, feel, so good. So you feel so... Um... No, alert, alive. Yeah, you, you feel alert, but it's different. It's not an alert, like an alarmed alert. You feel alive alert. Like, yeah. oh, I'm ready. actually ready. awake. Yeah, and it's, and it's not in the same way that a coffee can do for you. Like a coffee yeah. can't do that to you. It can take you there and then there. So it's funny these, like, techniques, I think there's a lot of value in them. The nervous, what I've learned say about nervous systems etc but i also have you heard about this thing called spiritual bypassing no this is the first time uh, i've come across this term enlighten me well oh it's not that i'm an expert at all but I've, I've read a little bit about it and i've observed it potentially um i knew someone who used to do cold showers and stuff as well and um absolutely she was convinced that this was helping her and her problems um yeah and I think it is to do with what you say about regulating nervous system, et cetera, et cetera. But that meant that there was no other work being done on addressing what those problems were or why they came to be. And sort of, sure. you know, so it was as if that particular person was um, doing that, the cold showers, and that was a proxy for doing any actual work on themselves. Do you know what I mean? So I know there, was, there was the, uh, the sanctimony of doing that exercise mm. of the cold showers without. Um, actually um, changing any of the behaviours that might have led her to the cold showers in the first place. Right, yeah, sure. Does that make any sense? No, it does. It does. And I think, like, I mean, the cold showers aren't the silver bullet, right? What, what yeah. they are is, like, you get out of the cold shower and you realise that you feel different. If you allow yourself to, to feel and if you develop an awareness of how you're feeling, it, it's done its job. Any other health benefit that it has, especially when it comes to things like nervous system regulation and you know helping fight off disease, um, any other benefit that it's had, it has, I think, is a bonus. What the cold shower really did for me, I think, was to eventually, and it took a lot of cold showers to get here, but it was to realize how I was feeling at the start of my day. And how how I felt when actually I thought that cold shower was actually quite miserable when I was in it, but God, I feel so good when I get out of it. And like, what oh, is it about that? I'm not even. Sh I'm not sure I could do it. <laughs> I'm just not sure. I mean, I do get in the in the morning, and it can be a little bit bracing. So I'm like, okay, that split second of being bracing, um, maybe that's my cold exposure for the day yeah yeah <laughs> not good enough not good enough well, I, I, I recommend it i think any, everyone should get into it but it's not for everyone yeah. and i know that men and women are different in their like sort of body temperatures yes. as well and what they need 
um, especially because I think, you know, I think women have like a monthly cycle, which is what I learned, that you sort of work on a month and you guys work very differently. You feel very different at different stages of the month, whereas oh, apparently men... because your period cycle. Well, yeah. yeah, but it's... Your period's not the only the, part of of that the cycle. cycle. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Whereas men um, have a daily cycle, apparently. Oh, really? Yeah. So we cycle daily. So that's maybe, interesting. Mm, and so, yeah, and I don't know much about that. That's for you guys at home to research and you to research <laughs> it as well, Georgie. But um, it's something that my ex girlfriend taught me when she was learning about you know the woman's body and how women are different um, and how to look after herself. Because I think a lot in life, I mean, we go we go to the same schools, right? We go to co-ed schools and we get taught, we go to the same phys ed classes. And then eventually when females turn sort of, you know, 13, 14 and they start having their cycles, that's when we sort of start to deviate. But the work's already been done by then to, to teach us that we're all the same um, and that we should all look after ourselves in the same way. And so it's really mm. interesting to sort of discover yeah. men actually have these daily cycles and maybe that's what part of the cold shower is for me. It's it's my morning is where I'm most alert and when I can do that kind of thing. Maybe that's what it is. Uh, I don't recommend everyone do this, but if you feel called to do it, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's worth looking into for sure. Um, certainly at least, at the very least, it would just be like the fear. There's a bit of fear of like, oh, the cold. Um, cool. And even just sort of conquering that. I mean, I, I got on a horse a couple of years ago because I was like, oh. The last time I got on a horse, I got bucked. And oh. I was like, well, I live here. There's a horse place like right there. I've got to go and conquer a horse. Right, okay. <laughs> and there are moments you're just like, oh, i just got to conquer that just because I feel like yeah. I need I'm never going to be a horse master. Yeah, <laughs> I'm never going to go do the Jim Carners. Mm-hmm. Um, but there might be benefits, and there were. Did you, you know, have so, hat on? so maybe there's a little fear in me that needs to have a conquering and have a go at this cold shower thing. Mm. I should be able to do it. No, but you're yeah. right. I mean, I think you touch on a, a really important point there. Like, apart from, yeah, like what, what are the fears that we have in our day-to-day lives these days where we've got an opportunity to overcome a fear and mark that as a win for the day and level ourselves up? Like, is it public speaking? Uh, is it these kind of random things that might come up every now and then? Is it asking someone out for a date or asking for their phone number? Where are we getting our fear from and how are we then leveling ourselves up um, from overcoming those yeah. fears? If it's a cold shower Definitely. and you're doing it daily, then shit, you're, you're leveling up every day. Mm, like, interesting. Because I'm certainly not asking for people's phone numbers every day, that's for sure. <laughs> and that's a fear, fear of rejection. Um. But yeah, so I think you touched on an interesting point. But I guess with your life, and you know, obviously you're very you, you're very thoughtful, very articulate. You like to inquire, which we covered earlier. You're a deep thinker, definitely a deep conversationalist, an inquisitive person. I think you've got a, there's a lot in the Georgie Carpenter prose column. I'm seeing. Um, but what about some of your challenges? You know, what are the, what are some of you touched on health earlier? I'm curious about friendships and relationships. How does someone who's such a high achiever, I guess you could say, or someone who's always looking to serve and gets their their fulfillment in life from serving others, how does that person fill their own cup up? And how do you make time for other people that you're not serving, like relationships, friendships, your family? 
Yeah. Um, gosh, that's a big question. So I do have a really good friendship circle, a reasonably large, a little bit less large since I moved to Bali, actually, because most of my circle were in Melbourne and um, I was very dedicated to making sure that we always um, came together. So I was kind of the mum in that way. And I come to my house and I think there was one point where I could sort of like bat signal, <coughs> bat signal everyone by text message. I'd have, I'd have like um, 20 people in the house within the hour. But um, <laughs> but I also was doing a whole bunch of drugs then. So, um, yeah, if I'm allowed to say that, there was like, I totally got into um, cocaine. And I reckon, because I haven't touched that stuff for quite a long time now. And I know it wasn't serving me. And I hope my mum is not going to be very happy with this part of the conversation if I ever send her the link, right? But um, I, you wonder, and I did wonder how often it was that people were hanging out with me as much because I, I took... I was a party girl, mm. you know what I mean? And I was for, like, easily the best part of 10 to 20 years. And um, I don't anymore because it wasn't serving me. It's not great for my health, and I needed to really address that health. And, and when I was addressing that health, I sort of – I shed not just weight, but I shed some identity things. And one of those things, when you do shed your identity in that sense or, or identity aspects that don't serve you, you also shed people. Mm. And I know what my what values are now, what my values are now. And I do surround myself with, oh, I've got this lovely group of people in Bali. They're just so open. They're excited about the things that you do. And what I was noticing when I was leaving Melbourne, and I don't mean to blast Melbourne because I loved it. And, and Australia has treated me so well. Like mm. um, since the moment I arrived in 2003, it did. Um, what I found is that there was a lot more people that um, when I sold the business – were less happy for me than I expected, okay? I did have one person even tell me, oh, I'm really telling you all the stuff now, Lewis. I did have one person mm. tell me that they really resented me when I sold the business. And it was all sort of put to me in this jovial, bantery way. But I just thought to myself, oh, Georgia, you know this. Not everyone's going to celebrate your wins. Just because I'm pretty, I'm really good at celebrating other people's wins, I, I literally never get jealous. It's just mm. never a thing. Like, I don't get offended by things, and I don't get jealous. So when if someone does something awesome, I'm there. I've got a bottle of champagne. I'm celebrating. I've sent them a, a gift. Um, I hope they feel special, and I hope they mm. feel recognized, because I think those wins, big or small, should be celebrated. Mm. Um, but that wasn't always coming back in my direction. So I did have to shed a bit in the last few years. And I think that always comes when you change course um, unpredictably. I don't think people like that very much. But I've managed to retain some really lovely, great friends mm. um, for my older circle. Certainly in my, you know, um, the business cohort, but also my personal friends. Um, and um, made new friends in Bali. Um People and internationally, actually, because it's a kind of transient town. People come, they, mm. I've got friends in Iraq. I mean, um, mm. I've got friends in Israel, I've got friends in, um, in Ukraine, just all over the place, Russia, etc., mm. Germany. Um, I'm just, I'm really grateful for that. The diversity of people that I've met here in Bali who are celebrating everyone's wins because we're on the islands, particularly the expat cohort. We're in the, we're on the island, everyone wants to achieve. So we're all sort of like, all of us, my my circle anyway, 
are excited when someone's doing a project. And they're like, oh, how can I help? I've got these skills. Can I do this? And like, I'm doing this project. And everyone's sort of getting involved. And I like that energy. Mm. I mean, you've got, you've got to weed through what is useful and what isn't useful. Um, but at the same time, that energy is so um, motivating. Mm. It's just, it's kind of inspiring. It keeps you going on the days where you just want to go down the beach or the weather's nice. And actually, I've got, a, I've got an essay to write. I've got an article to write. I've got a chapter to write. I've got this to record, etc. Mm. And you're indoors with the AC when you want to be out there kind of sweating in the beach, mm. you know. Um, and as for love, um, I didn't, unfortunately, um, break up with a long-term partner, love of my life, um, a couple of years ago, um, sort of midpoint of the pandemic and that was terrible mm. um but it was just such a weird sort of year post that um in that i just thought oh i'm never gonna fall in love again i am an old high achiever which people don't like sometimes mm. most of the time particularly potential partners if they're not in the same part sort of um stage of life as you are it can be kind of a weird situation like a Georgie, Bread's winner, um, alpha type, you know, um, person. So I don't really think I'm very alpha. I, I prefer Sigma. <laughs> um, but um, ambitious, and I'm I, I'm not high maintenance in the sense that um, uh, you need to be showering me with expensive gifts and taking me out all the time. Actually, no, like you don't have to spend a penny without a picnic on the lawn that's mm. all good but i am high maintenance in the sense that i think out loud and for people to sort of follow that um thread of threads multiple threads a lot of the time that's high maintenance mm. that's a lot of high maintenance so yeah mm. does yeah. that answer your question no no you, you, again i'm just contemplating i think um you answered my question really well um, and I think it's, I mean, it's not, I, I think your particular journey, especially that last bit about relationships and where you find yourself after you've sort of um, broken up with someone and that phase of your life that you find yourself in, that's really common. I mean, you don't even have to be a high achiever to have that same thought to go, how, what, you know, where am I going to find someone that's going to accept me? Or, or love me for who I am in this phase of my life, you know, after doing this, this, and this. And that could be whether you're a high achiever and you've and you've been through a lot, or whether you're you're dead broke. Um, I, yeah, I think those who are just average forty, do you know what I mean? Yeah, just yeah. forty, yeah. a forty year old woman, you know, or a forty year old man. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if it's the same hmm. for all of us. Um. Maybe I'm being no. Naive. If you're a forty-year-old woman, forty-year-old um, man, um, single and um, looking after themselves, I suppose if you had a job or you looked after yourself, it's more um, eligible than if you're a forty-year-old man who's sort of wrecked, alcoholic, not doing anything. That's yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'm not not an alcoholic, thankfully. <laughs> but I did lose a lot of weight that year, so that, there were silver linings and. Um, I'm very lucky because I actually did fall in love again. And I'm going to afford that person a lot of privacy. So I'm not going to go into that Good. too much, if you don't mind. No, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> um, but I was very shocked and taken aback by um, the, the fact that I was able to fall in love again, which I didn't actually think that was ever going to happen. Mm. 
And why, why do we think like that about ourselves? Why do we limit ourselves so much? Look, I don't know if it's, for me, I don't know if it was because I didn't believe in myself. It was just very much that I didn't want to. Like um, my former partner, again, I, I, I want to afford him a little bit, uh, quite a lot of privacy, but he was the best. He was gorgeous, absolutely stunning person. And when it broke down, there were so many things, um, you know, no one knows what goes on behind closed doors, but often the couple themselves don't know what happens behind their own closed doors. And mm. often these things sort of creep in before you even realise there's been a problem. And I think it was that. Like, we had a load of love, and I'm fairly certain there's still a lot of love there now. But um, the truth is something didn't work. Don't You can't pinpoint it. Mm. Um, and where was I going with this? Well, oh, I man, asked you about... You right down sad little path. No, well, <laughs> I, yeah, well, I asked why we doubt ourselves so much. Oh, that's it. That was it. That was it. And that is I chose. I, I made this decision. I'm like, I choose. I don't really want to ever be in love again. So I was quite surprised because when I make a decision, I do tend to sort of follow it through. So I made this decision never to sort of fall in love again and somehow it kind of happened again. And I was like, mm. what? That was against my own will. Mm. <laughs> um, so, yeah. yeah. I don't think it's because we're completely like, self-limiting and have terrible sort mm. of belief in ourselves. It is often because we chose. Mm. Choose, we, in fact, I think it's all because we make, we've made a choice. We've made a choice to be treated in this way. We've made a choice to go down this path. Mm. I wonder if we're always making choices, whether we realise it. In fact, I know we are, yeah. and subconsciously. Yeah, mm. subconsciously, absolutely. But, yeah, look, it's it's been so nice to get to know you and hear a bit more about your journey, your personal journey, and who you are and dive deep on all things from uh, you know, relationships and friendships to cold showers. And, um, yeah, you're, you're someone that I feel like I could just chat to all day and all night. So, <laughs> but mean, it's pretty late where you are now, aren't you? You're three hours ahead of me. Yeah. It's nine o'clock here. Um, but it's been so good to get to know you better, Georgie. And I know that the, my audience will absolutely love hearing someone like a different perspective and just someone who speaks so candidly and is so, um, open and honest and thank you for being as open and honest as you were um, I know that I took your places oh let's hope I didn't upset anyone in this open and honest dialogue now I doubt it anyway I don't, they've I got to manage that, their own impulses right <laughs> yeah yeah I don't think you would really care about upsetting too many people um, but yeah I do appreciate that um, you, afford, you afford people privacy and that there is part of your life that you don't need to necessarily talk about on a podcast, um, which is great. Um, it shows that you've got a lot of really important values as well and you know what your boundaries are, um, which is another thing that, you know, we could talk about for... Oh, my God. I'm yeah. writing an article on it right now. It's hectic, boundaries, yeah. and how, like, it's kind of been corrupted the meaning. Anyway, I'm, that is another conversation. Mm -hmm. We should totally have more conversations. We should. We should. I'll have you back on for sure. But I guess one thing I always ask people is what piece of advice would you give to someone who, you know, someone who's going through, you know, personal things or someone who's building a business? What advice would you give? I would say just be yourself. Like the only unique thing anybody has on this entire planet um, and everyone is unique and that thing that makes you unique is just you, right? So if you can just... 
know yourself, mm. stick with yourself, trust yourself, be yourself. You already have a unique value proposition right there. It's built in. Mm. So um, I, I would start with that. I'm into that. I also probably wouldn't ask too many people for their opinions on the things that you do. Sometimes you just need to head back forward and um, trust the courage of your own convictions. I, I, I'm big into that. I don't like competitor, competitor analysis. I think it's basically it can steer you on the wrong path mm. of doing things like your competitors when actually maybe you're already at it because mm. you're you and you're Nick. And, oh, I don't want to sound cheesy, but it's true. There is the only thing that's unique about you is, is you. Mm. No, I love that. And especially about asking opinions. I think we can go overboard with other people's opinions. And... But validation, constant validation. Stop with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it can rattle you. It can. Like it can validate you and it can give you that dopamine hit that you get from being validated. But if you seek it too much, it'll rattle you. You'll start to put way too much weight on other people's opinions. Oh, and they'll totally, be able to sort of... You totally weaken yourself mm. for that yeah. validation, for that little dopamine hit, like you say. Oh, Georgie, we just could go on and on and on, but... I'm probably good. <laughs> um, yeah, no, thank you so much for being part of uh, the podcast. It's been so great to have you on, and yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, mm. and bye for now, and until next time. All right, I'll catch you soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Louis Diaz podcast. To find out more about any of our guests and catch additional photos and content from this episode, find us on Instagram at Louis Diaz Podcast.